and welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of The Masked Cricketer. K-Dog and Woodsy are back interviewing your favourite cricketing legends. Today's Masked Cricketer is none other than Matthew Hoggard. Matthew steps away from the barbecue to chat about his cricketing career, his hatred of football and a rather interesting attempt at an Aussie accent. Today's episode and the live show are all about raising awareness and funds for the Lord's Taverners charity. Hey dog, get those new teeth in and get this episode underway. Oh, oh, is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's Matthew Hoggard. Good evening. Yeah. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good stuff. I can take my uh, straw out my beer now. <laughs> Great to see you, quite, Matthew. Quite warm under there. Did we keep you under uh, there? It, it was getting a bit stuffy. <laughs> but you know what? You're I like. They don't turn the heating on, so it's quite nice. Uh, true. That's a good point. Actually. Are you, you're a little bit tight-fisted, Hoggy. You haven't got yeah. Keep, yeah. keep, keep, keep the brass dry. Yeah. Yeah, we've got deep pockets and short arms. <laughs> Same as me, uh, Darryl, but me and him would get on quite well, wouldn't we? Yeah, you would. Nobody would ever buy a drink. It would be, you know, the phone would ring, wouldn't they, when it was your round? Especially you, Kieran. Um, Hoggy, how's it been over the last uh, few months for you? How's it been going? I, I know I know, we had the pleasure of playing cricket together. Well, it wasn't a pleasure for you, but it was certainly a pleasure for me. <laughs> yeah, it, was, um, it was good fun getting out and uh, actually playing sport. Um, I think, like everybody, very frustrating. Um, at times, very boring. And um, it's it's been great being homeschooled. And, and when I say homeschooled, um, teaching Ernie maths, maths and um, science. Um, so revisiting what I, I learned 40 years or 30 years ago, that's been good fun. And trying to get a business off the ground is always fantastic in um, the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> Very difficult. Yeah, good timing, good timing, that Hoggy. <laughs> That's fantastic. Ernie, thirteen, teenager. Ernie, yeah, Ernie's thirteen. I just picked him up tonight, and he's um, he's just come back from cadets, so he's come back in full camo, and he looked like a little soldier. And all <laughs> I could think of, I looked at him, I thought, you look like a person that I'd quite like to be, because it looks like awesome fun, and I'd quite like to dress up as a soldier and um, take the dogs out and roll around in the mud. So I was quite envious of him tonight. Oh, cool. Uh, has he got any signs of down the cricketing route, Hoggy? Is he is he going to follow that footsteps? or? Yeah, the question of... Do you still play? I play for the Lord Taverners, of course. Um, I'm playing for the PCA Masters when we're allowed to play. Um, but I played um, a few Saturdays and Sundays with Ernie because he's just started playing um, senior cricket. And I said, the only only way that you're playing senior cricket is if I'm playing in the same team. So I had a lovely, lovely experience of opening the batting with him. Um, I haven't actually opened the bowling with him yet. He, he He's more of a bowler, left-arm bowler that swings it in. Uh, I like to stand at first slip and um, sledge him. I mean, um, sledge the batters um, and get all the other youngsters running after the ball. So I just stand there and shout and bark orders. It's brilliant, actually, batting, isn't it, with with, with your son? It's it's a great experience. It's, it's, it's a lovely... it, it doesn't last very long. <laughs> well, I, I was, that probably brings me on to my question of your... Your average, your batting average. Do you oh, think? Well, I'll go. I'll go test match because that's a bit lower. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, you don't have to start abusing me already. You know. We can start talk about your test average. <laughs> yes. Good answer. That's fair. fair uh, and, and then get on about what you do actually look like. <laughs> Kieran, I'm going over to you because I can't. I've gone. I've gone. I think I'm going to be. I'm going to be really polite to you because you were one of. I don't want to make you sound old because I think you're the same age as me. But you were one of my heroes actually. And uh, your batting average. Okay, the average was below ten, but you were the night watchman most of the time. Was that something that that you wanted to do, or were you sort of press ganged into it when you were sort of oh, night watchman regular occasion? Press ganged into it. Um, it's it's getting a bit dark. It's getting a bit 
um, scary that we don't want to go out because there's no point in batting and it's quite hard to bat nowadays. Um, who shall we send out? Shall we send somebody out that's actually good at batting, that's equipped to do it with the technique and is in actually in the team for his batting? Or shall we send the sacrificial lamb out there because we don't find out what happens to him? So I, I got I got um, into it default. And if I was batting, well, and I, I did my job and was still in the next morning, the commentators, especially Ian Botham, used to come and seek me out in the morning and say, Hoggy, well done. You've done your job. You've stayed in. Now, for sakes, get out because I'm on commentary first and you are the most boring batsman I ever have to commentate on. So, yeah, as you say, my batting average didn't set the world alight. Neither did my stroke play. Set the commentators. I, I, saw, I saw you play a, a lovely cover drive in the Ashes series in 2005, which was right out of Ian Bell's textbook, I think. So, uh, I think yeah, I <laughs> yeah, that was um that was a brilliant test match uh, in the middle of a brilliant series. And it was as you say, you, you were lucky enough to, to see me hit a cover drive, if you can call it a cover drive. Um <laughs> nobody else had. It was um I, if we go back to that test match, we'd made Australia follow on for the first time in for about 19 years. And we only needed 128 runs to win. Now uh, that's only 12.8 runs per partnership. And you get a few um, buys and a few leg buys, a few extras here and there. So you only need 12 runs per partnership. And that's exactly how many runs I needed when I had to go bat. Now, as you've pointed out, I wasn't a great batter. So I was quite nervous walking down the steps at Trent Bridge, shaking, walked onto the grass, shaking, thinking I'm scared. And then I stood onto the grass and uh, it... It's No, it's a cliche, but everything slowed down. Everything was calm because it was in my hands, nobody else's hands. And I said, you know what? This is why we do all the training. This is why we make all the sacrifices. This is why we play sports for moments like this. So everything calmed down. I walked to the middle a little bit more um, confident, thinking 12. I can edge 12. Uh, <laughs> And get to the middle, and I meet Ashley Giles, a very sensible lad. I said, all right, Gilo. He goes, no. And I says, why not? He says, well, Brett Lee's bowling fairly fast, and Shane Warne's turning yards. So my nurse came back fairly quickly, um, and like all senior partners, he took control of the situation. He said, look, Oggy, I'm not going to lie to you. Shane Warne's really tricky, so what we're going to do is I'm going to stay down his end, and you can have Brett Lee. And I'm thinking, okay, so I get the 95-mile-an-hour bowler and you get a spinner. Fair enough. And Brett Lee tried to – he was either trying to kill me or bowl me a Yorker, and he got one of the Yorkers wrong. And as he said, he, he bowled me a full toss, which I've creamed through the covers, and it raced along the 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 outfield. And if it hadn't been for the 5,000 fans in the Radcliffe Road stand going, <laughs> it never reached the boundary. But I scored a four. He's the first cover drive I've ever hit for four, and most probably the last. I remember it. I remember it to this day, Hoggy. So, can I, can I come in here? Because I, I, I'm going to try and claim myself back here, Hoggy. Uh, back in your good. <laughs> I, I honestly, I was watching that, and I, I cannot tell you. But I did a bit of a, a, a jump, a run around my my living room when you hit that four, because it was absolutely crucial at that that stage. And it, it still, actually, when I I watch that back, it still gives me shivers because I think it's just it's such a an important part of that that winning. Um, I have to be honest, and and uh, that partnership was just just fantastic. And I, I will be honest, that is absolutely true. I, I I was doing a jig, so hopefully I've got back into your, to your good books there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, mate. I, I've got to say, actually, Hoggy, um, you, you've you've made a really good point there because I know at the time um, when, when you and Jarlo were out there batting in that match it took you took you into a 2-1 lead I remember Michael Vaughan on the balcony and he couldn't watch he was sort of hiding behind sort of barriers <laughs> and, and he said afterwards didn't he that it's a lot harder to be up in the pavilion watching than actually to be out in the middle and being under control and being in control however that is massively I mean when we came off after making Australia follow on I went and hid in the physios room I was in the physio's room hiding under the towers, getting the physio to treat me for injuries that I just made up because I couldn't watch. Uh, I didn't want to have my mind on the cricket. I was trying to get it away from the cricket. Um, listening to the wickets falling on the um, 
public announced uh, public tenoys announces it was just so nerve-wracking because as you say you're not in control it's in somebody else's hands and when it's not in your hands it's it's more it's harder to to watch and to to think about them when you're actually in the middle especially if somebody's um, bowling very quickly you, you don't really have time to think about anything else you're just trying to not die <laughs> I mean, you've actually, you've actually answered one of the questions that's come in because Sam Sam King um, wanted to know, you know, at, particularly as a, a lower order batter, what is it actually like facing somebody like Brett Lee who's trying to knock your head off every every ball, and you know, obviously that that sort of pace is something that none of us would ever see at, that, at the level that we that we play at. Yeah, you certainly um, get your adrenaline buzzing, and <laughs> you certainly know that you're you're batting, and. It, you try, you try and train for it. You, you do go on the, you do get um, bowlers to bowl at you in the nets. You do have the bowler machine set, uh, and it's it's still. It, Brett Lee is quite a nice bowler to face from the quicks because he was very classical. You could see the ball all the way, and he didn't surprise you. Somebody like um, Malinga or Sean Tate or Shoya Bakhtar, who had different actions, not classical actions, were a lot harder to pick up because the ball was coming from different trajectory, from different angles, wasn't classical, and um, more slingshot. So uh, they, they, were, they were harder to face than the Brett Lee, but it is something that you trained for. Um, it's, <laughs> it is something that sets your, your, your adrenaline and your heart going. And as Jeffrey Boycott says, it's um, much nicer to, to be at the other end than it is down at the firing end. Yeah, he used to love getting up the other end, didn't he? It's funny you should mention Sean Tate. Just something just sprung to my mind when you mentioned that. Well, we'll I've got, I've got to mention this because uh, uh, Darren and I were were taking a, a county Oxfordshire side over to Australia in in 2010 when they won the series over there. And uh, at the uh, pedestrian crossing, um, Sean Tate was at the uh, at the traffic lights, and uh, Daryl decided to take one of his coaching cards and just stick it into his rucksack. Sort of suggest maybe that Sean Tate might want some coaching. You never got a call though, Darren, did you? Never got a call. Never got any abuse either, but um, which I should have done, uh, to be fair. But uh, it, it, was, it was. We were playing over in um, a tour, well, first tour, two thousand and one or two, to the in South Australia. We were playing the um, the, the um, Adelaide side, and I came out to bat, and he but he was bowling gas, and he just went, "Hoggy, you block it, I'll bowl full." You play any shots and I'll kill you. And I thought, fair enough. That's me, that's me never playing a shot again. Um, but it was good as gold. It, it didn't try and kill me once um, in that in that innings. But he, he had that old style bowlers union, which was quite nice. Awesome. We've got a couple of questions that have come in from George. Now, George Hiley, uh, Hoggy, is um, one of our little superheroes. He's um, he's 21 this week. He's, uh, he's one of our disability critics. So a couple of questions he's asked. One of them... He's asked what your highest ever score was. Now, I know this courtesy of Wikipedia, but I'll let you talk about it. And um, Who did you enjoy getting out the most? So your highest ever score, and who did you enjoy getting out the most? Uh, my highest ever – is this proper cricket, or is this backyard? Yeah. <laughs> is this on the computer? Um, my highest first-class score was 89 not out. My highest yeah. test score, I think, was 39. My highest oh, back garden, my, my highest back garden score was three thousand four hundred and fifty-two um, against Ernie. Um, <laughs> it took me three days to do it, and he kept on asking if he could bat, and I said, "No, you have to get me out first. Um, but yeah, um, eighty-nine not out first class, thirty-nine Test cricket, and who did I like getting out most? Justin Langer because he was a brown nosed gnome, and he was. Such an annoyance and such a brown noser to his captain, Ricky Ponting, that his voice just irritated me. Um, I didn't like him on the cricket pitch. Um, and to, to boot, he was quite a good batsman. He was all right, wasn't he? Yeah, you got him out a couple of times, I think. And I'd just like to clarify that I met him off the pitch in, and he wasn't such a bad person. No, nah, these, these, the these odds are all right, aren't they? When they're not playing cricket, yeah. they're fine. Good stuff. So, um, where who was the eighty nine against? Can you remember? Obviously, you can. It was Morgan uh, against Morgan. Okay, it wasn't it? Yeah. Wasn't against uh, Simon Jones? Were you that week? Yeah, it was Simon Jones, Robert Croft. Um, who else was playing? Um, Thomas. Um, I can't remember who else, but it was just, it was just Simon Jones basically. 
and taking the mickey out of him, which was, <laughs> which was brilliant. But yeah, so, um, getting up on your mates is always good. We've got we've got a, a an ex an ex Yorkshire number eleven who's who I'm sure you'll know very very well who comes on every week and he's a bit of a legend around these parts. Uh, Jack Brooks always comes. Hey, on. Uh, <laughs> he watches every week. He's he just wants to point out he's got a hundred for Yorkshire. But there you go. He's just saying. So <laughs> he, he, he's also got me out first ball before as well. Has he? Oh well, there you go. I'm sure we've got quite a few people out. <laughs> he was. Um... We were, play, we were playing. Uh, my, I was first the first year down at um, Leicester. And I was captain, and we'd secured we'd secured the points um, and everything else. We we didn't have a, a, anything to prove in this game. And I said, right then, the first that I'm going to go out and try and hit a six, first ball. I, I didn't. Um, I think I had my poles uprooted. Um, Jack Brooks was was bowling, and he charged, sprinted past me, slid on his knees with his knees, going yeah. <laughs> and I just thought, who on earth is this little toad that is just celebrate? But yeah, what a play! Um, wholehearted player, loved him. Um, but yeah, his, his, his first wicket, he just charged past me on his knees, sliding and giving it the big one. I was thinking, man. <laughs> We love it. We love him to bit. We love him they to do bit. that at Tiddington. Nope. Tiddington boys are all like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I've got. There's a great question coming. It's actually from a sister-in-law, um, and it, I, I'll sort of reword it a little bit. You, you've had some great bowling partners. Uh, they've asked who who you think your best bowling partner was, but I, I wondered if you'd go through a few that you know and give the sort of qualities of of those individuals as well. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I've, I've had loads and loads and loads and. And again, who was bowling at the other end really didn't bother me, um, unless it was a spinner that got through the rovers very quickly and it didn't give me a chance to have a little rest. Um, because I, I'll, I'll flat bat it first and then I'll go through the, the list of, of bowlers that I've played in. But because cricket is such an individualistic game, nobody else can do anything until the bowler has let go of the ball. So it didn't matter what the other bowler had done um, because you were now in charge of delivering what you had to do. It was nice if you could bowl well in tandem, but I don't think it was completely necessary. Um, if you had the the mindset of putting the ball where you wanted to put it, it didn't, it didn't matter what was happening at the other end. But to, to open the, the bowling with the likes of Darren Goff, with the likes of Alan Donald, with the likes of Steve Harmison, um, just, to, just to, name, to name three off the top of your head, loved Goffey, um, wholehearted cricketer, running was the catalyst of anything. If the times got tough, you could always rely on Goffey to put his hand up and say, right, then I'm bowling. Um, not the tallest in stature, smaller than me. I'm six foot two and he was five foot eight, I think. <laughs> he'll, he'll have a go at me for that. Um, but yeah, but again, quick outswinger, um, wholehearted cricketer, whereas opening the bowling with Alan Donald, what an absolute legend he was. Um, scared people with his raw pace and uh, and he was very quick. Um, so, and then with Steve Harmson with the pace and bounce and everything. And when you look back at the, the what we called the Fantastic Four, um, with myself, Steve Harmison, Simon Jones, and um, Andrew Flintoff, Steve Harmson, tall and bouncy and horrible to face. The Simon Jones, rapid, swung the ball both ways, reversed it, very skiddy at 90 mile an hour. Andrew Flintoff was horrendous. And then there was just little floaty old me that used to come out and, and try and swing it out gently. So all the batters were thinking, where on earth am I getting another run from? We'll have a go at Hoggy. And managed to pick up a few wickets off the back of that, I would have suspected. Brilliant. I think George has just asked, are you a football fan? And if so, who 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 do you support? Um, no, I'm not a football fan. I cannot stand the way that footballers behave on the pitch. Um, effing and blinding, falling over the shoelaces, clutching their arms like they've had the broken arm when nothing even hit them. Um, they're the role models for our children. And every Saturday they're swearing at referees and effing and blinding. I can't be doing with it. They try and get their opposition sent off. Um, and I just, I can't be doing it. You look at the rugby rugby guys who are a lot bigger and a lot tougher and a lot harder sports. Say yes sir, no sir to the referee. If they give them any back chat, it's 10 yards. If they do it again, they're off. Um, and I, I just, I think that footballers have a 
a, a, a thing to make sure that they're acting correctly for our for our children to look at. And you can see the, the difference between a rugby side and a football side on a Saturday morning. The parents behaving like they do, swearing at the referees, swearing at each other, having a go at the kids at the side of the pitch. And I just don't think it's the right standards and the right morals and the, the right attitude to be bringing up children. So I don't follow a supporter. And if, it, if I did, it'd have to be dirty leads. <laughs> yeah. There's a few dirty Leeds fans on actually, so uh, pretty much with you there, Hoggy. To be honest, um, I've had a few experiences of of actually um, refing a you know an under tens game, and the parents are, are, are worse than the kids. It's it's uh, yeah. and uh, and if you go to the school teachers as well, if they play football on a Saturday and rugby on a Sunday, on a Saturday the the kids turn up with a horrible stinking attitude. They think the world owes them. They'll chat back to the teacher. They'll leave things around, and they're a bit horrible to deal with. On a Sunday, there is totally different kid playing a different sport, and because they're playing a different sport, to to change their attitude and their characteristics, I, I think that's what is wrong with with football. Um, and and I, 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 yeah. I'll, well, I'll, I'll stop talking how bad I hate football, but I do. I hate it. Fair play. Fair play. Kieran, I know you've got a few questions coming in. I know you want to ask uh, Hoggy a few few of your own. So over to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to go back, um, not, not to the start of your career. I, I want to go back to um, that year, 2005, Hoggy. Um, I mean, we can talk about the start of your career uh, uh, later as well. But 2005 for you personally and for England was was a huge year, wasn't it? I, I'm talking about your, your best figures in South Africa and then obviously the Ashes series. That must have been a, a time in your life that you look back on with, with unbelievable pride, really. Yeah, massive. Um, if you look in 2004, we'd gone through the year unbeaten. Um, it was a the start of something special. Um, the year NASA, I think, re resigned in 2004. Michael Vaughan took over. And I think NASA and Duncan Fletcher had done a lot of the donkey work and, and created a nucleus of people that they wanted to, to play a big part in English cricket. They'd taken it from a soft-bellied, um, not-so-fit England side to a, a side that, 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 that trained well and were were looked after by the ECB with the central contracts. And we, we used 2004 as a, as a platform for 2005. We went to um, the West Indies and we won in the West Indies for the first time in, I think it was 30 years, um, away from home. Um, Steve Armson picking up seven for 12 um, as a, a, with everybody behind the bat except for short square leg who was in front of it. It was a particular memory. Um, and then in 2005, coming against the Australia side who had been dominant in the all the way through the late 90s, early 2000s, um, to say, right, we've got a great chance of beating you, um, was a massive summer. And just to, to skip ahead, people that have watched a lot more cricket than I have and commentated on it said it's one of the best series, if not the best series that's ever been. I was very lucky enough to be a part of that and to have that inner knowledge of what we did and say, right, then we're going to stand up to Australia. We're not going to get bullied. And after winning um, or losing the toss at, at, at Lords and bowling Australia out for less than 200 and hitting them everywhere we hit, um, Matthew Hayden, we hit Langer, we hit, I don't know when I say we, um, Steve Harmison hit Ricky Ponton, he hit Langer and he hit Hayden um, and set the set the tone for the series. And we bowled them out twice for less than 20, uh, for, well, we got 20 wickets in the game um, and we only narrowly lost that game by 165 runs, which was quite good for England against Australia at the time. Um, and... We, we saw the emergence of Kevin Peterson, who uh, at times were making his debut in a test arena, danced down the wicket and smacked Glenn McGrath straight back over his head into the pavilion at Lord's. And everybody's jaws dropped and said, you can't do that to Glenn McGrath. He's one of the world's best bowlers. And Kevin Peterson came in with a breath of fresh air um, and showed a different mentality against Australia. And we went back to, to Edgebaston with the thinking that we're going to get a little bit of a, a rollicking for, for giving our wickets away a little bit too easily against uh, the Australia side. And Michael Vaughan says, you know what, we need to put pressure back onto the Australian bowlers. We need to put them under the pump a bit like KP did. And, the, and you could see our batters thinking, you're right, Glenn McGrath, 
Jason Gillespie, Brett Lee, and Shane Warne. Which one's the weak link and which one are we going to go after to, to put the pressure back on? Um, it was a massive thing when um, Glenn McGrath stood on the, that ball. Uh, um, Edge Baston twisted his ankle and got carried off on the back of a golf cart. And you could see all our batters giving each other low fives and high fives. And I know you're not supposed to like or want the opposition to, to get injured, but I tell you what, there was 11 people very happy that Glenn McGrath wasn't playing in the next test match. And our batters were thinking, hmm, Michael Kaspervich, <laughs> we'll have a go at him. And that's exactly what they did do. And with Ricky Ponting winning the toss at Edge Baston, and saying, right, then, because England batted so poorly in the second innings at Lords, we think they're a little bit fragile. We'll have a bowl first. And it was a good batting track at Ashbaston. It was it looked quite fairly flat. They just lost his best opening bowler on the back of a golf cart with a with a dodgy ankle. He came back into the um, changing rooms and we heard exactly what Shane Warne thought about his decision to bowl first was. He was effing and blinding at him and calling him all the names under the sun. And we went out and scored 400 runs in the first innings, in the first day at uh, Ashbaston. We lost 10 overs to, to bad light. And we scored 400 runs in 80 overs against Australia. And that was sort of the the marker we'd put down after after performing below average with the bat at, um, at Lourdes. And we could go on because that was just the the, 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 the first um, <laughs> the first um, test match in a, a, the first day um, of that series. Yeah, I thought I thought that, that that first day of the second test, that I, I know that McGrath wasn't there, but you still had three exceptional world-class bowlers. And I think that really set the tone for the rest of the series, didn't it? And I, I thought one of the one of the key moments of that series was was seeing Australia celebrate a draw at Old Trafford. That was for me, that that to me at, at that time in my life, I thought, well, you've got them. You know, they're celebrating a draw. This is the mighty Australia. Yeah. What did you think? What did what did you guys yeah. think when you saw that? That's exactly what I, I say. And if we'd have lost that test match at Edgebaston, I think we might have been on the on the back of a five nil whitewash. But winning at Edgebaston by that massive total by two runs. Um, we went, as you say, we went to Old Trafford and we had the better of the test match and we needed to bowl them out on the last day again. Uh, Ricky Ponting scored 160, fantastic um, captain's knock. And after after we didn't beat them, they were nine down. And after Steve Harmison bowled the last ball and they, they managed to hold out, as you say, they celebrated a draw. They were high-fiving, hugging and kissing like they'd won the game. And sometimes when you're going to win and you don't quite get there, it's worse than losing because you you think you, you build yourself up, we're going to win, we're going to win, we're going to win. Whereas if you're going to lose, you put up the defensive barriers. It wasn't our fault. It was the batter's fault. Always the batter's fault or the umpire's fault or the weather's fault or we had the worst of the thing. But to, to think you're going to win and then don't, you, the rug's pulled out from underneath you, you sink, your head goes down, your shoulders go down and you think we might have blown our chance of beating Australia for the first time. And Michael Vaughan saw that pulled us into the middle um, at Old Trafford. And people ask me who's the best captain I've played under. I always say Michael Vaughan. Not because he was so tactically astute or he was a, a fantastic batter. He was a great man-manager. And he could see that everybody had slumped and everybody's head down. And he pulled us into the square at Old Trafford and pointed at the Australian dressing room and said, look how they're celebrating a draw. They were talking about a 5-0 whitewash when they first came to these shows. And here they are celebrating a draw against us. And his exact words were, we've got them by the ding-dang-doos. We are going to go on and win the series. And that to me, when the, the mighty aura and the invincibility of the Australian team just went there were 11 players with the same frailties, with the same insecurities that we had. And that was, to me, was the big changing changing philosophy. The biggest mindset in that test series was that that that, that little moment at Old Trafford where, where as you say, we, we saw them in a different light. And it really, um, the, the, the series in general really got the, uh, you know, the, the, 
the, the juices going within England. I mean, I'm thinking again of the, the lockout at Old Trafford where they were queuing down the road. And it, it was the series that really generated interest. I know it was the last series on terrestrial television and, and Channel 4, but the, the series in general, just A, because it was such a fantastic series, but also the, the, the first win over the Aussies since the mid-1980s. It was just everything about that series was, was perfection, wasn't it, really? Uh, apart from our first first test match <laughs> um but yeah it encapsulated the nation there were so many um ebbs and flows ups and downs um that made it into a, a great series and it, uh, for some reason it encapsulated encapsulated the nation um we were on front page back page middle pages of the newspaper people were stopping work to listen to it to watch it on the tv the the golfers they didn't have the leaderboards up anymore. They had the cricket on. And there was no football. There was no rugby. There was no athletics on to, to take away from what that summer was about. And it, as you say, it was still on terrestrial TV. Everybody was watching it. And it, we'd never seen that before. And it did fantastic. It did wonders for for, for um, cricket. And it got a lot of people watching. And as you say, I still get... People that, that say thank you very much. You, you, 2005 was fantastic, and the the older generation say thank you very much. The younger generation are saying you're the reason that I started playing cricket for 2005, and that to me is the biggest buzz you can ever get. Somebody coming up to you or coming up to say you're the reason I started playing cricket makes you feel very old because they're sort of like 20 plus, and, <laughs> and you're thinking, well, how old must I be? Um, but yeah, to, to to leave that legacy because you you want you want to leave behind a legacy as a team. You want to be leave behind something to be remembered. And 2005 was definitely on some everybody's radar as a cricket fan, and it is still something that people keep on coming up to you and saying thank you, even 15 years later. I've just worked out you're not that old, Hoggy. You're only three days older than me. I just worked that. I just looked. I'm older so. than you. You must have yeah. had a bad tape around, mate. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, yeah, just before I hand back to Daryl, so as players, then did you, you presumably you you knew um, you know how important and, and what role models you were, and, and how important your sort of form and your performances and the victories. You knew how important that was for the future of cricket in in, in England, because as you say, um, you know it, it inspires people, doesn't it? Yeah, but at the time, you you don't think that way. It is day, session after session, day after day, ball after ball. And it's only when you, it's been and gone, you had time to reflect and you, you, the years have gone by that you realise how important it was. Um, but the, I think the biggest thing that hit you in that 2005 was when we, we were sillyly allowed to go around London um, the day after we'd won at the Oval in an open tour bus. Um, and the amount of people that turned up to, to, to see us, that was the sort of biggest sort of like telling point of how important that series was for a lot of people. Uh, oh, hang on a second. Sorry, I've got a call coming in. Uh, uh, yeah, Ricky. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we got Gary Pratt on instead of you, mate. So uh, <laughs> don't, don't worry about that. Um, we'll, we'll come back to you. We'll come back to you. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for watching. Every <laughs> week. Just every time, it just pesters. Um, <laughs> um, we might have one day. We, we do, we do. Uh, I was going to come on uh, quite nicely, Hoggy. A few questions about um, your career. Thirty-fourth um, person to get a Test match hat trick. Who were your three? I know it was West Indies. Who were your three? Um, Rivnar and Chandapur. No, no, Ramnareshawan. Um, Chanda Paul and Ryan Hines. Not a bad three. Uh, not a bad three. Not bad, not bad. Um, Chanda Paul second. That was the biggest wicket, I think. So, what was it? Um, Sarwan. Um, Ronnie Sarwan. I bowled him an half volley and he sneaked it to gully. Um, bad, bad foot movement. Couldn't be bothered. Bad work transfer. And then in came Shivnarine Shanderpaul, and I thought, you know what? First ball, swing it back into him. We'll get him LBW, and that's exactly what happened. I uh, swung it back into him. Um, absolutely salmon. And then Ryan Hines came in, another left-hander. I thought, absolutely fantastic. I'm going to swing it back into him as well and get him LBW or bold. 
And then I got a little bit too excited. My, my beans were going. I, I ran in a little bit too too quickly. I lost my action a little bit and pushed it across him. And he was expecting it to swing in. I was expecting it to swing in. And it just held its line and uh, he sneaked it to second slip. And Freddie didn't make any mistakes. And I got a hat-trick. So the ball that I tried to bowl wasn't the ball that I heard that I bowled from a hat-trick. So if I don't know where they're going, the batsmen definitely don't. But if you put it in the right area, <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> almost the perfect ball for, for a hat trick, I would suggest. If you don't yeah. know where it's going, you've got no, a chance. Well, I was trying to bowl a different one. <laughs> it's nice that you executed your skill for Chanderpool, though. You know, that, that's yeah. quality. Brilliant. It was a bane in our backsides. Yes. I was just saying, Daryl, it's quite interesting that because. <laughs> Your old mucker, Ryan Seibarm, talked about his hat trick the other day and he said that he, they were all really bad deliveries and long ops. <laughs> so at least you actually executed some skills there. So. Yeah, did, did I not catch one on the boundary with a flying leap? I can't remember if that was if that was part of it. It was the same game. I can't remember if it was hat trick or not. I think it may have been, yeah. yeah. He did mention it was a long hop that got caught in the deep, so it must have been, yeah. I think. Oh, yeah. Do you know what? The, Booger is. Patrick, that catch was awesome. I was running around left. I had to jump up in there and take it above my head, land below wherever the, the, the ropes were. Yeah, hurt my knee on the landing. Um, but yeah, that was an awesome one of the best catches I've ever caught. Never minded oh, that trick. We'll brush over his hat trick. It was the 37th one anyway. Okay, you got the 34th. Come on. Oh, well, it was, can, can you name the two in between then? I don't know, actually. I must I must find that out, mustn't I? I've done right, researchers to, to look at that. I, I want to take you back, actually, because I, I, it was it was interesting talking to Sam Northeast last week, um, saying that some of some of the hardest cricket he played was in the Harrow and Eton uh, fixture at, at Lords. He said that could be quite quite tasty. I wondered what it was like in the Bradford League when you started out. What what was it like in that league? Yeah, there was quite a few characters, quite a few sledging. Um, yeah, I don't. I think I think it might have been on a different um, level between Harrow and Eton and Pudsey versus Pudsey. <laughs> I think uh, I don't. I don't I might not just have had the same flavour or the same twang about it. Um, a lot of it I won't repeat here. Uh, but yeah, my uh, yeah, um, there was a lot of lot of lot of sledging going on. My, I can remember my first ball I bowled in the Bradford. Well, to, to one of the, the Yorkshire second team, it was called Chris Pick at the time. I'd just got a wicket and he strolled to the crease and asked the other batsman what he was doing. He said, oh, he's swinging it out. And my first ball, he smacked me over cow corner of the nets at, um, at, at Pudsey Kongs. He just came down, tapped it, went anti-swing device, son. And I've just gone, bop. I didn't know what to do about it. I bought my best ball and he just deposited me over there. But yeah, there was a lot of sledging, but most of it was um not PC enough to 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 broadcast on a on a podcast. <laughs> I like it. Um I, I was gonna I mean tough league, I, I'm I'm guessing. Uh I, I'd like to have had a, a little sample of that at some point. Yeah, uh, you look at the Bradford League, uh, Yorkshire's the biggest county. Um, it's got a lot of cricketers, and the Bradford League was the best league in in inside Yorkshire, and we had a lot of, of professional players play. Um, I played with the likes of VVS Laxman, um, Yusef Yohana. Um, there was one point where everybody at Pudsey Kongs had played at least second team cricket, if not first team cricket for Yorkshire. Um, I so yeah, it was um, it was a fantastic league. And it, it grew up. My first Bradford League wicket was Graham Roop, which was fantastic. And in the same same game, um, I got Ashley Metcalf out as well, who was, who was in the same team. But if you think you're playing against a, a current Yorkshire first team or an ex-England international, um, they had a, an overseas Simon Dool who played in, in our league. Um, there were so many players that had got, well, went on and, and played great cricket or had played great cricket. Oh, you know, a good good grounding for you then. I, I'm guessing. Was what was your best sledge there against you or or from <laughs> you? Come on, can you can you elaborate on that? There's two sledges that spring to mind. Um, um, most of, both of them not actually on the cricket pitch. Um, Steve one to Steve Armisen. It was in 2006 seven when we'd been hammered by Australia 
Ricky Ponting had scored a century. And there were me, myself, James Anderson, and Steve Harmison that was the, the seamers. Now, I went out and warmed up first. And as I walked out, one of the crowd said, Oi, hold on, you're the worst bowler in history. And I thought, fair enough. I started warming up. James Anderson came out and went, Oi, Anderson, you're the worst bowler in history. And I thought, fair enough. And then Harmison came out 10 minutes later because he was always last. And he came out and this voice piped up and we thought, oh, yeah. And he went, Oi, Harmison, the only good thing about you is your missus. And Steve Harmison turned round and went, if you like her so much, you try living with her. <laughs> uh, that, that was a, a brilliant comeback. And the other one was from my wife. Um, happened in the kitchen. Um, so the, the year that I went on to MasterChef and I, I did a bit of MasterChef, so I thought I was a pretty good cook. So when I walked into the kitchen after I'd done a day's filming and she was watching Gordon Ramsay on the TV, I said to her, why on earth are you watching a cookery program for? You can't cook. And as quick as a flash, she turned around and went, well, you watch porn? <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, there's absolutely no way coming back from that. <laughs> yeah, that's well and truly own, that is, isn't it? <laughs> pretty dabby. Pretty dabby. <laughs> I, I um, actually that brings me on because I think Mervyn's asked a couple of questions, which I will bring to you. Uh, the funniest drinking experience on tour? Oh wow! Um, pass. The too many to to yeah. to, to remember. Um, yeah, I think I think the the, the comments of um, you don't remember me, do you? And you go no, and they say, "Well, I bought you a drink in two thousand and four in a bar in Barbados." And thinking, "Yeah, okay, that's like sixteen years ago, and most probably I was pie-eyed." Um, but yeah, I get a lot of people saying I bought you a drink in a bar and not being able to remember the night. And for that, I'm really sorry. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, there was quite a lot of drinking incidents, um, apparently. <laughs> can't remember any of them. <laughs> well, it's it's a horrible one when you're trying to think of a funny incident that's happened. You, your mind goes blank and everything goes out of the the window. Um, calling Tony Blair a knobhead that that's quite quite good. But that was after the 2005 when we've been on the the Raz for 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 a while. Um, yeah, ah, and um, Steve Armisen painting TWAT on. Freddie's forehead, um, Ashes winners 2005 and CUNT on another cheek and all over. And him being on breakfast TV the following morning with his face bright red. Um, Knowing full well that it was, uh, he said it was a, a shower to wake himself, cold shower to wake himself up in the morning. And I knew it was Neil Fairbrother and a gallon of turp scrubbing the indelible ink off his forehead. Brilliant. Oh, that must have been a great experience on that that double open double decker. Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. I can't remember. I can't believe how many people turned up to watch us. Superb, wasn't it? Like the whole of England was out on the streets of London, Hoggy, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was incredible. Can't believe it. It was, uh, yeah. Uh, and the wives wives were there as well. That was um, that was another experience. Freddie got the biggest slap I've ever seen. He had, he had a little child, Holly. Um, it, was, it, was, it was his firstborn, and he did a Michael Jackson, and he had Holly, and he was dangling over the front of the bus. And Rachel, his wife, stormed off, nicked Holly, and just went whack on his face. <laughs> that was quite amusing because <laughs> it didn't happen to me. But, yeah, it was, but it's amazing how much we got away with on that that. That day after, two days after uh, 2005, if we'd have done it now, we'd have been hung, drawn, and quartered. But at the time, everybody was so delighted that we'd won. They're just, ah, it's just lads letting their hair down, just let them enjoy it. But yeah, you look back at now and the faces and what and what we looked like on that open tour bus was, was um, something to behold. Uh, I think it was the first time in 18 years, wasn't it? So it deserved to celebrate. Um, and that's our excuse, and I'm still sticking to it. 
Quite right, so quite rightly so. I, I know Kieran's desperate to ask a few uh, quick fire questions. I'll go over to him in a moment. Um, we have gone past the hour, so thank you again for one for coming on our humble show and also agreeing to do this. Uh, it, it's been uh, much appreciated. Um, but you mentioned MasterChef there. Um, obviously, you've got this this passion for cooking. Um, tell us a little bit about the new venture, Hoggy's Grill. Uh, how's that come about and uh, what are you looking to do? I know it's the wrong time at the moment, but how's it going and what, what's what's planned for the future? Yeah, so Hoggy's Grill, is, um, it's a cookery school, barbecue cookery school that um, teaches people to get the best out of their grills and to learn how to cook properly outside um, with the great flavours of wood and charcoal. Um, we're based up in Rutland Water. Um, it's not the not the worst time because Christmas is coming up and Christmas turkeys on the on the grill. It tastes far more succulent and more flavouring them than you do when you've cooked them in the oven, and it frees up your oven a little bit of space. Um, but I think the flavours you get from from fire um, and cooking on fire is so much nicer than cooking on gas or in the oven. Um, so that's that's where my passion comes from. My passion came from touring South Africa when I was 18, where all they wanted to do every night was to bry flace, which is cook on on wood, and they cook on things called kamildurin or mapani, which is um, hardwood. And I retired in 2013. I tried my hand at um, foreign currency, a um, bit of um insurance i've dabbled into coaching somebody says you need to find something that you're passionate about and i said what like eating and drinking and they said yeah and that's where hoggy's grill <laughs> sort of like was born of the idea and now we've got a lovely spot overlooking rutland water which is a fantastic um view and we teach people as i say to to have a have better barbecue experience and to cook any i've baked cakes i've cooked yorkshire puddings on on barbecues and we do it in a nice relaxed atmosphere um with a beer in hand um or a glass of wine and it is i i absolutely love it as you say it's been quite tough because of the the restrictions and covid and the lockdown um but we're we're going to be putting things online we're going to have um a lot of events next year and we're um, looking forward to, to taking the barbecue world and the alfresco dining by stall. I think it sounds a really great venture, and we wish you all the very best for that. I'm, I'm sure it will go very well. Um, I, I, I'm absolutely convinced of that. Is Sarah heavily involved what? in that as well? Is Sarah heavily involved in it as well? Of course. She, she owns it. Um, but, and if you, yeah, if you want to have a look at photos or anything, hoggiesgrill.com. That's where you'll find everything. Um, we're online and we can you can see what we're up to. And you can decide, don't do it before you're hungry, though, because there's some good-looking meat and some food out there. Um, and you'll be trying to lick your screen. Um, so, But, yeah, the, we've got we've got a lot, whole host of courses to, to come on. Um, and, yeah, have a look, see what you think, and buy some gift certificates. That's the sale pitch. Um, no, great stuff. Like I say, we wish you all the best for that. I know Kieran's um, wanting to come in with a few quick fire questions as, as we've gone past the hour. He's chomping at the bit there. Like, he's, he's, I'm, he's... Chomp I'm, I'm chomping at the bit because, Hoggy, I've seen some of the images from your Hoggy's Grill. I, yeah, I, I'm somebody that quite likes my food. You could probably tell that. I've got about five chins. <laughs> and, uh, it does look absolutely amazing. We've shared a few things um, previously across the group, and we'll continue to do that because it does look incredible. And, uh, yeah, really genuinely best of luck with that because uh, it's obviously a passion that you've got. And, uh, yeah. And as more Gonna have a, we're going to have a golf day up there and um, an eating and drinking competition. So you need to oh, get your, need to get your drinking shoes, eating shoes, and golf shoes out, and you can come up and we can have some great food, some good banter on the golf course, and enjoy. We even make um, the people there we'll even make their own gin. So we've got Rutland gin to um, to, to try and taste as well. Sounds awesome. Are you mobile, Benny? Are you mobile by any chance? Because I'm just thinking with our with our um, game next year, which is the 31st of May, we're going to plug that again. If you're mobile or if you can get mobile, perhaps if you're not oh, doing anything do. that day, you could come down and uh, show us what you can do. We we are mobile. Uh, I've just been asked to quote for my first wedding as well. Oh, wow. He wants me to cook for my wedding. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I can be mobile. So we, we can chat about that. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. If if you can 
check in your diary and put a date in your diary. We've got the 31st, a little uh, little invite there for you. And we've already, we've already had Ryan Sidebottom and, uh, and Charlotte Edwards have committed to come along. I'm not, not, not putting you on the spot, but uh, if you're... I'm, a, I'm, I'm as quick as running now as Charlotte Edwards was. What was that? Sorry? I think, I, I think I'm as quick at running now as Charlotte Edwards is. Uh, her, knees, her knees and my knees are on the same part. <laughs> yeah, well, is coming out of retirement to, to, to apparently have a crack at playing in that one, and apparently Brooksy may be there as well. So if, if you're at a loose end and you have uh, and you can bring your wares down, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. Definitely get you on the field as well, Hoggy, I think. We'll get you on the field, definitely. I'm cooking. <laughs> you might have to watch Daryl uh, You might have to watch Daryl back no, again. Though. He doesn't want to watch that again. I can enjoy it. That it won't take very long, and if it does, I, I'd just sleep because it was quite boring. To be fair, to to say that he only had sixteen-year-olds bowling at him, he was so boring. It was unbelievable, and it wasn't a case that he'll score a few runs and then come off and let somebody else have a go. It's not my game. I'm batting, and if they can't get me out, I'm steaming. I think he takes the leaf out of his book. I think definitely. Actually, if my family are watching, they're saying he was like that as a kid. You know, <laughs> but you know, he was never out. So nothing's changed in in fifty odd years. <laughs> never out. <laughs> Should have played a bit more then. Look, the funny, the funny thing is, Hoggy, that not to me. The, the funny thing is, because you were there and you were witness to it, you're now telling us everything that we thought was the case. Daryl was told us what a fantastic innings it was, you know, free, free flowing and you know, lots of cover drives, and then you come on and tell the truth. So that's good you to see. Uh, Hoggy, <laughs> <laughs> a couple of couple of quick fire questions to, uh, that, that have come in, and they will be quick, Mervin, I promise. Uh, so uh, we sort of touched on one of them already. Um who who was the most fun off the field in the England teams that you played? And, and if you can answer this, who was the hardest to get on with? Oh, wow, wow, we were. Um, there was a lot of fun people. Um, Andrew Flintoff springs to mind. Um, Ashley Giles springs to mind, fun off the field. Uh, Simon Jones, Steve Armstrong, they were, they were all great people to be off with. Um, hardest to get on with? Ah, I'm going straight in with Kevin Peterson. <laughs> this is a shock. <laughs> why, why was that? Because uh, he was a hook to us. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> and uh, another question: You talk about facing Brett Lee. Did you find Brett Lee or Shoab Akhtar more terrifying to face? Did you face much of Shoab? I did face Shoab, um, and depends whether, as I said, Brett Lee was quite nice because you could see him all the way, and he was consistently fast. And you never knew whether Shoab was bowling it or throwing it. So if he was bowling it, it was all right because that was only sort of like eighty mile an hour, and when he threw it, he threw it at ninety-five. So you never knew which which one was coming down. So Shoei was a lot more difficult to face. Good stuff. Yeah. No, that I, I, he always struck me as uh, he's the first bowler I think that was officially clocked at hundred miles an hour, wasn't he? Whether it was a throw or whether it was a proper delivery. <laughs> yeah, I think Brett Lee and him did it in the same year. Um, and we 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 saw him in warm ups, and he bowled just as quick off a short run up as he did from a full run up. Um, we always ask the question, why on earth do you run up so far um, when you can bowl as quick off a short run? I'm sure I've said, people watch me to, to run in. And I said, no, <laughs> they, want you, they want to watch you to bowl quickly. And you can only bowl quickly for four overs off that long run up. Depends on how quick you can bowl, how long you can bowl off a short run up. <laughs> yes, indeed. I think Fred Truman used to come off a pretty long run as well, didn't he? He used to say the sight screen got in the way. So, <laughs> so I did Whispering Death. Absolutely, yeah, Daryl. That's um, that's the, the the questions I've got here. So um, uh, from me, Matthew, I just want to say um, sorry I didn't uh, get a chance to meet with you earlier. I was rushing around today, but uh, really fantastic to have you on the show. Really, really appreciate your time. We we have gone um, sort of well over the hour as we normally do. We always say it's an hour, but we always we always drag it on a little bit. But for for me, it's been it's been brilliant. You are, you know, believe it or not, you are slightly older. I mean, I know I know it looks like I'm close to age. But no, you are actually genuinely one of my uh, cricketing heroes because uh, the Ashes in 2005 was probably around about the time that I was really getting into cricket, actually. Um, you know, I was quite late into it and uh, watching that series really did inspire me. It hasn't inspired me to be any good. I'm still crap, but uh, <laughs> it inspired me to at least get more involved in cricket. And uh, it's down to people like yourself, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, for me, thank you for that. And thank you for joining us tonight. It's been brilliant. Thank you very much for having me. It's been enjoyable. 
Um, wise words, Kieran. Thank you for that. Um, I've got two or three questions for you, Hoggy, if you don't mind. Um, just staying right. with us for a little while. And um, white and two sugars. <laughs> I've got um, superpower. If you had a superpower, what would it be? You can have a think about that. It'd have to be, have to be flying. No, I don't flying. think flying. Love to be able to fly. Brilliant. Love that. Um, the Yorkshire-Leicester transition, being captain at, at Leicester, was that a tricky time of your career? Was it enjoyable time to, to skip her? What, what's your thoughts on that? Very enjoyable. Um, I didn't really go down to be to be the captain to start with. Um, I went down to work with um, Tim Boone, who I thought was a fantastic coach. And in my first... In my first year, um, Tim Boone had resigned. The chairman or the CEO had resigned, and the me and the chairman had a massive falling out. And we had um, a very public row, and it was either him or me. So, my it wasn't the most enjoyable time <laughs> of my life. But we we managed to win um, a T20 uh, in 2010. We we won it for the third time as, as a small county at Leicester, which was a fantastic. Um, a feeling um, to to win a domestic trophy as a captain was, was really really uh, one really up there with the achievements of my domestic career. So yeah, I really enjoyed the getting to know people and getting to know myself a little bit more um, as a as a leader. And if I if if I could do it again, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd yeah I would. Um, but uh, yeah, very enjoyable. Let's stop rabbiting. Cool. No, that's brilliant. And the last one from me, and we've sort of forgotten to ask this over the last few weeks, and it's it's good if some of the young players that are watching, um, is any advice that you can give to a young fast bowler, um, you know, trying to get into, you know, perhaps adult cricket or even, you know, beyond? What what advice could you give them? Yeah, I'm going to say the, the biggest piece of advice that I always give is that you're in control of the game. And if you can put the ball where you want to put the ball, um, you, you, you're in a chance of winning. And what's the difference between an attacking bowler and a defensive bowler? Um, attacking bowler will try and hit the top of off as many times as he can with four clips in a gully because he's got every mode of dismissal Um to him, he can hit the stumps, he can get LBW, can you still get caught behind, which is or caught, which is the big three? Um, and then what's the difference between a defensive bowler? Well, a hard ball to hit is a ball that hits the top of off. Um, but you hit the top of off with a ring field, five four field, and you've done absolutely nothing different. You you you're still bowling the same ball because batsmen get themselves out. There's very rarely that a bowler bowls a ball that makes the batsman unplayable. So you've got to make the batsman make a mistake. And if you can ask questions of him every ball, he'll make a mistake sooner rather than later. And that is if you play forward, backwards, play it, leave it, attack it or defend it. Every ball he's got his thinking, he's challenging his technique. And it's a, a big mindset about um, who's going to be first, you or the batsman, because every time you bowl a bad ball and he gets off the mark or he hits a four, um, the pressure's back on you. Whereas if you're building the pressure all the time, uh, he's going to he's going to play a rash shot um, sooner and then you, you get the wicket. So they make a mistake, you don't get wickets is the mindset that I, I used to be. Don't get bored before the um, batter, isn't it? You know, yeah. uh, um, my big is don't blame the coach, blame yourself. Don't say that I didn't have the throwdowns, I didn't do this, I didn't do that, or the coach didn't do that. There's only one coach, there's 11 players or 12 players. If you need to make sure that you've done all the work that you have to do, you don't have to be told, you don't have to be the hand held the hand to, to do the things. You've got to got to make take the onus on yourself and make sure that you've done all the work um, to get yourself in, in the prime position. Absolutely wise words. And we we dropped Kieran. I wasn't going to bring Kieran back on. I thought that would be quite a good because he'll get in with seven questions. I'll tell, what, I'll tell you what happened, Daryl. I I was re I just read Hoggy's backstage comment and then nearly fell off the chair in laughter and then knocked the phone off. <laughs> I'm not going to announce what that backstage comment was. No, I don't. I don't yeah, think we're, we're thinking on the same side, same lines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is a there is a similarity. I think 
I thought it looked a bit phallic actually at one point as well. But uh, <laughs> I know why it's called hot dog because I am. I'm sweating hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not uh, <laughs> What I'm just coming on. Hoggy, great banter tonight. Thank you very much. It's been a great entertainment. Uh, really enjoyed that. Um, and uh, that's the first person who's given me a bit of grief. I quite like it, actually. That's, that's fair. as well. Uh, yeah, I deserved it. I deserved it 100%. So uh, I, I thank you for that. And I do mean that because that is brilliant. Um, I'm just going to uh, – that's the right message, I think, hoggysgrill.com. Please, please go on to that, guys, because it's looking pretty decent on there, um, and uh, it's worth worth a look, definitely. Um, out. Hoggy, fantastic, brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for listening to season two, episode six of the Mass Cricketer. Today's show was hosted by K Dog and Woodsy. Special thanks go to today's Mass Cricketer, Matthew Hoggard. The music was Swing House by RKVC. The show is still thrown together by Daryl Woods and Kieran Bushnell. If you would like to make a donation to the Lord's Taverners charity, please head to justgiving.com forward slash the hyphen mask hyphen cricketer. If you would like to guess the mask cricketer live, load up youtube.com forward slash the mask cricketer and hit that subscribe button and bell. Whilst on your device, pop on over to Twitter and follow us there on at mask cricketer. That's all for now. See you next time.